Hello and welcome to The Nature Pod, a weekly conversation and invitation to join me and my guests as we navigate pathways to nature, as prescribed in forest bathing and the practice of Shinrin-yoku. Let's awaken our senses to all that is around us as my fellow walkers in life, friends, experts in the field of health, wellness and ecotherapy share their stories of nature connection and their insights into personal development. I'm Suzanne Radford, forest therapy practitioner, communication coach and radio presenter, lover of the great outdoors, guiding people through nature to a place of calm, clarity and contentment. I have found some of the best conversations, ideas and inspiration happen when walking and spending time in nature. So let's connect and see where it takes us. Joining me today from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates is Keith Littlewood. He helps people resolving pain, energy, digestion, sleep, all important, our sleep hygiene and anything that's hormone related with his company Balanced Body Mind. It's a great pleasure to welcome Keith to the Nature Pod, an old mucker of mine from the radio days. He used to join me regularly on the health show. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? Not too bad, Suzanne. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you feeling with the lockdown? I've kind of been torn over the last four or five years about where my work's going to go. This is uh, really enforced that I'm going to be focusing just more on independent research and coaching now because most of my clients are around the world. I get more of my work online than I do in person for obvious reasons and and that just seems to be the way it's gone now just to understand what you do then Keith I, I've spent the last 15 years understanding therapy neuroscience pain science and movement and really in the last 10 years I got more involved in kind of testing and looking at biology a bit more in depth and the last five years six years has been me uh, work, work looking at hormones and I did a postgrad and a master's degree in endocrinology uh, which is quite rare because it's usually something that doctors study um, but I was able to get on the course with a group of doctors now I've kind of fused all that work together and you know previously being a, a personal trainer for 15 years before that um, and now I just work on kind of energy sleep digestion mood fertility with clients taking it back to basics of nutrition first of all and understanding uh, environmental factors their inheritance um, the nutrition and, and what they choose to put into their body and certain, certainly some factors that they're not aware of to help them to get that um, Generally, that's kind of what I'm doing with, with people around the world. Nature then, how significant is nature to you? Well, I, I think it's, it's everything is nature because nature is, is in, all encompassing. Um, but we, think about, we tend to think about nature as being, you know, being in, the, in this green space that, that's uh, clouds in the sky, blue skies, feeling the wind on our face and the rain or the heat. You know, probably nature can be negative connotations of that because Nature is equally pollution. It's uh, electromagnetic stress. It's pollutants in our water. So we can either have positive effects of nature or the negative effects of nature that predominantly come from man-made issues. If somebody asks me about what nature is, it's, I, I tend to cast, cast my mind back to, to Yorkshire and walking up hills close to my grandmother's house, which are particularly fond memories of uh, you know, feeling feeling a, a variety of uh, aspects of weather. Uh, where obviously, uh, having lived in the UK, you're aware of, of what those kind of variations in weather can be, particularly in, in, in summer times, which could equally be heavy rains. I, I like to think of nature as something that we can utilise to get back to understanding how nature in its positive and negative forms can really influence our health. I mean, nature is all-encompassing. It's our sleep-wake cycles. It's, 
it's like the seasonal aspects of, of health and certainly with my work I've looked into how different seasons and how circadian rhythms can influence health primarily because light is what brings life life has evolved through exposure to light and interactions with proteins understanding nature and what positive aspects of nature can do for people's health is really really important and often often totally undervalued just to unpack that a little bit Keith with regards sleep patterns and the seasons and your circadian rhythm what does all that actually mean well if we take it from first of all the day-by-day basis a lot of people tend to think of, of sleep as being um, the the reset and the regenerative part of the day and to a degree that's quite useful to consider that but also consider that darkness is actually quite stressful on the body so as it starts to get dark we start to produce hormones that slow the body down um, we start to um, sensitize the eyes to darkness and effectively our body gets shut down so that it can cope with darkness and also produce some hormones that are helpful and some hormones that are not that helpful uh, and if we can now kind of we'll come back to sleep in a second but if we consider about that from a seasonal aspect it shouldn't come as any surprise that during summertime people often feel much brighter, that long, long days of light are actually very, very productive for human health. From one of my areas of, of considerable reading is thyroid physiology, which permeates every single level and aspect of human function. Um, when you have issues with thyroid hormone, lots of your areas of, of your of function tend to decrease. But it was well known over 100 years ago that in summertime, animals produce less of a hormone called TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. So effectively, when our thyroid doesn't work efficiently or the the aspects of the body can't assimilate that hormone um, or produce it effectively, we produce more of this stressor type of hormone called thyroid stimulating hormone. But it was well known that in long days of light, generally animals and, and what seems to be humans produce much less of it. So if we contrast that with the longer days of winter, which are colder, uh, less sunlight. Um, we often produce hormones that are kind of more synergistic with the darkness phase of the day. That can be problematic. How many people do you know say that they feel you know, worse during winter or perhaps they've even emigrated or love to take lots of holidays where they get away to sunshine? And this is their biology suggesting that perhaps A, they're not producing hormones efficiently and that darkness might have a negative effect on their body. So if we consider that staying in, in, in sunlight can be particularly helpful for our body, uh, for regulating hormones, for regulating um, stress responses. This is just one as- aspect of nature from a daily light cycle that we can learn to entertain by using light efficiently. I work with a lot of clients that, are, you know, one of the questions on the questionnaires Do they suffer from some aspect of seasonal affective disorder where basically their mood is much diminished in the darker days? So we we need to consider that light is very, very useful. But I think that's just one aspect of the the circadian profiles. We tend to start producing some of the more stressor hormones, as I said, during these these, uh, periods of darkness. Hormones like cortisol, which although is a... and anti-inflammatory hormones. It's quite a potent stress hormone. We tend to produce more of that uh, as well during the beginning of, of uh, morning, around about two o'clock, because that tends to go in, in cycle with uh, the amount of energy that we have available. I, I think it's important that we consider light, but there are also many other aspects to kind of these circadian profiles and, 
long days of winter versus long days of summer, optimal hormone conversion, better energy regulation, and better mood. But there are many other things that, from a, a nature perspective that we can consider. With the forest bathing walks and, and taking people into places of natural beauty, whether it be in the forest or in the beach or, or in a park, what it's actually doing to the body physically, the physiological change in the body, the parasympathetic nervous system calms down. As you mentioned cortisol there, um, this sense of clarity, cognitive function. So there's many things happening naturally to the body once we spend time, whether it's even just sitting in, in nature, can really, really have a positive effect on our sense of, of, of well-being. And yet it's fascinating to hear you talk about the hormones. So there's real evidence there as to how, so, you know, we've been going through a very stressful time globally with the pandemic and people are in lockdown and, you know, the anxiety that's around that. So, so there's little ways that we can somehow tap into to nature and light to, to help us naturally feel a little bit better. There's the very well-known effects of ultraviolet light. Ultraviolet light is uh, what helps us to synthesize vitamin D, which we can uh, uh, on some level produce it in the skin and you, you tend to find that it's regulated around the kidneys and the liver. Vitamin D is a, a very potent modulator of the immune system. For some people you know, who've been told to stay inside or stay at home, stay safe, there's a lot of research that counteracts that. I've looked at some papers, for example, that have shown that the, the current viral issue in whatever form you choose to look at it is much lower at the equator where there tends to be more sunshine throughout the year. A lot of the countries that have been quite susceptible to the current viral issue, uh, such as COVID, they're countries that have just come out of long days of winter. Um, you know, if you look at where the peaks were, February, March, April, this is where, you know, we were just coming out of winter and going into spring. And that lack of vitamin D can have a significant effect on immune function. We also know that these hormones, uh, we, we talked about all, uh, horm how hormones affect in long days of darkness. Your thyroid hormone, which is an organizational hormone, can help to protect your function. And that's why it was during winter, many, many people are exposed to this suppression of thyroid hormone due to darkness. One other aspect as well is we often think about these kind of aspects of ultraviolet light. And a lot of people are aware of the damaging effects of blue light on the eyes at nighttime, for example. And when we kind of, we, we go through circadian rhythms with lots of unnatural light. The blue light is what you get off screens, like your laptop exactly. or your phone. Exactly. I mean, you get blue light from, from the sun as well. But you tend to get more blue light from screens when you're kind of sitting at computers or watching TVs late at night. But another potent spectrum of, of light is actually red light and orange light and yellow light, which are very, very protective to human physiology. Uh, in, in medical and therapy and other aspects of kind of medical interventions, there are thousands and thousands of papers that show the effects of red light therapy or something called photobiomodulation, which is the exposure of red light and so in some cases lasers, which stimulate how our cells, our mitochondria, our energy producing cells that form aspects of our complex physiology this spectrum of light helps to renew how they function so if we just bring it back to those long days of sunlight we're exposed to many spectrums of light including ultraviolet light including red light orange light and, and yellow light all of which have a beneficial effect on our physiology a lot of people are really concerned about how much ultraviolet light they get 
Some people suggest that, you know, being in the sun all day long can be quite harmful to health. But there are subsets that kind of make that more problematic, like what's in someone's diet, what their skin color is like, staying out of the obvious kind of high times between 12 and 2. But generally, longer days of light exposure are generally associated with more beneficial aspects of health. You know, there, there, there are many different reasons why just even something as simple as daily light exposure can help to enhance health. I think the sun, sunlight is generally more helpful, but we can also modulate that with, with some aspects of artificial light as well. If, if I work with clients who, who, who live at areas where their sunlight exposure isn't that great during winter, so you, sometimes you need to think about how you can enhance aspects of nature synthetically, as it were, which sounds a bit of a paradox, but it can be done. In what way then would that be with the, using a lamp, a light? Red light, uh, yeah. a red lamp exposure can be useful to enhance uh, how the cells function, their energetic responses and mood as well. If, if you look at lots of studies with regards to seasonal affective disorder, sad, it's like even exposure to normal lights can have that effect. Um, instead of sitting in a dark place, just exposing your, your face and hands or your body to e- even normal lights that has a, a wide range of spectrum of lights can be particularly helpful. But ultimately, getting in the sun is where, where the body needs. We've, we've evolved o- over millions and millions of years from sunlight. And, you know, you, we hear lots of uh, negative suggestions from specialists in skin care that we shouldn't be exposed to sun for certain amounts of time. And I found, find that both counterintuitive and uh, paradoxical to what the human body has experienced over over millions of years of evolution. Breath is something I think is really interesting and you work with people on the skeletal function so how we breathe the air that we're breathing I think something like breathing is something we just do but are we breathing effectively are we using our body to its fullest function how do we function more effectively when it comes to the breath? The first point is actually understanding what breath is and does. And a lot of people aren't really aware of how breathing can have a significant impact on their physiology. For example, mood can be a key player in how we breathe and how many breaths we choose to take and which muscles we're using them from. I think you touched earlier on about sympathetic and parasympathetic state, and both can have their problems. But many people tend to be stuck in more of a sympathetic state where they're shallow breathing, they're using muscles around their neck and chest instead of their belly. Uh, And this can lead to why people get short, tight neck muscles that might lead to some kind of painful issue. So just slowing down and focus on the breathing can have some, some beneficial effects. Normal respiration rates, how many times you breathe in and out a minute, should be anywhere to around about 12 to 16 breaths a minute. This can be uh, dictated by an area in the brain. It can be respondent to how, how our physiology is. So, for example, if you're in a stress state, you may be producing, I mean, talking at end game of physiology. So, for example, if I use the analogy of cancer, we tend to become quite acidic. And we're producing lots of lactic acid because our body can't function efficiently. And therefore, it's normal for the breath to respond by increasing, going above 16, 18, into the 20s. Because when we get so acidic, we need to keep breathing in and out to maintain a cellular pH. And the cellular pH is actually slightly more acidic. But the more that we breathe at a more rapid rate can make us slightly more alkaline to balance the pH out. If we're breathing out fast in a normal state compared to a disease state, we can still breathe at an excessive amount of of breathing rates when we become stressed. 
So we talked about sympathetic activation. We might get the adrenal response, which comes perhaps from the brain or different areas of perception of, from the body. Uh, and this can help, help to cause us to breathe an excessive amount of breaths. If we consider that we tend to keep breathing at this excessive state, this can have a negative effect as well because it can make us more prone to anxiety. It can make us more stressed. It can make our, our movement and our balance uh, compromised. And this can ultimately lead to where we passed out so much carbon dioxide, we tend to cause something called a respiratory alkalosis where the body is trying to then retain all of its carbon dioxide. So then we go to a much slower breath rate. There's, there's plenty of complexities with breathing, but one of the simplest things to bring it back for people is that be aware of what your breath is doing. Be aware what that you're where you're breathing from because breathing from the tummy and the belly and laterally through the ribs and to the front through the ribs and through the back through the ribs should be helpful because it also has a knock-on effect to how our, our, our muscles function so that our spine is effective or the muscles of the spine are effectively recruited when we're moving and exercising. So slowing down the breath rate if you're breathing excessively, breathing through the nose is particularly useful. When you're constantly mouth breathing um, through the mouth, you tend to be wasting uh, breath and carbon dioxide, which is actually quite protective to the human body. So if you're a mouth breather, try shutting that mouth and breathing through the nose. Uh, and that can help just to calm the nervous system down. There are various different breathing methodologies. One of them is called Buteyko. Uh, and what you can do there is do something called a 5-5-5. Five, five, five. So you take a breath in through the nose for five seconds. You hold the breath for five seconds. And then you breathe out for five seconds. And that's enough just to calm the physiology down uh, and also to help retain carbon dioxide. A lot of people tend to think of carbon dioxide as being a waste product, and it's not. The body produces it efficiently when we utilize carbohydrates efficiently. Um, and with that, when we have enough carbon dioxide available, we can release more oxygen from the carrier in the blood called hemoglobin. And I think that's, that's useful to understand that having enough carbon dioxide around means that we can have enough oxygen available. And when we have enough oxygen available, we will tend to function quite efficiently. And imagine doing that, practicing that breath work on a beach, by the sea, near water, all the negative ions, in a forest with the phyton size, the natural essential oils coming off the trees, in a park, anywhere that you could find though that, that air that's fresh and clean and, and sitting in nature. What an amazing thing you'd be doing for the body. Yeah, absolutely. And you touch upon clean air there. And I can't, I can't uh, understate the effect of, of clean air on physiology. Some of my research uh, and my future research that I'm hopefully going in to look at uh, is looking at the effects of pollution on, on various aspects of function, including thyroid physiology. There are hundreds, thousands of papers that show the effect of pollution on physiology. And they all tend to distort everything from sleep, through to cellular function, mood, fertility, create diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. For some people, it's easier to get into nature than others. If you're living in a city that's very polluted, near roads, and, and it's hard to get out of, even making the effort on a, on a weekly basis to get out of that environment so that the body is capable of understanding that that environment is not essentially there permanently it has the capacity to go into nature 
to experience what growth and, and resetting might be like and then come back into the, its stressful environment and respond better because when we have chronic stressors you know people everybody around the world is kind of understands what stress is there's emotional stress there's physical stress and there's chemical stress that all all combine to either make someone or break someone and there can be various aspects that affect each person it might be inheritance what traits you inherit from your parents for example what environment you're exposed to what you do nutritionally can dictate how your physiology functions and for example with with air quality if you're just permanently breathing in dirty air all the time and i'm talking combustion engines soot, diesel engines that have particular pollutants called uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons that really do tend to disrupt physiology quite nastily but giving your body a break from that and going into nature where you have the capacity to move yourself from the dirty air uh, breathe somewhat cleaner air move yourself from lots of uh, electromagnetic frequencies that uh, appear to be ubiquitous in the more urban environment and increasingly in more rural environments and also to experience the colors that you see in nature that's something else that you can't deny has an effect and there's a lot of research that shows actually walking in nature and slowing down is much more efficient than running in, in nature where you are, you're effectively putting yourself through another stressor uh, and I think that's really important to understand that you can get healthier from doing less exercise, not always more on pushing yourself. What about your experience of nature? And is there a place that stands out in your mind that's made an impact on you? There are plenty of places. We're quite lucky because Georgie, my wife and I, travel to some really lovely places. It's always coming back to, I, I was actually born in Kent in a place called Tunbridge. But I think my heart is actually where my grandparents moved to, which is the Yorkshire Dales. There's a place called Roover Crags, which is in Cartman Coverdale, right in the middle of the Yorkshire Dales, where you can walk up there in, in about an hour or so, and then look over the, the Yorkshire Dales and Penn Hill. And it's just absolutely stunning. And I've walked up there in sunshine and rain, sleet and snow. And when I get to the top, I just sit there and just, just be quiet and just look at everything. Even though I've gone up there with, with family, it's, it's just stunning. I, I, I always just feel this sense of complete calmness when I'm there. It's, it's quite amazing. The Yorkshire Dales, it has this wild ruggedness to it. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think that's the beauty of it as well. I mean, you can see a couple of the villages as well. And you can still feel quite isolated, which is quite nice. I, I'm someone who, at the end of the day, I need my own time just to just to calm myself down and not talk. And you know, going to places that are quite isolated, where you can feel sometimes alone, I think is quite useful for for physiology. It's not for everybody. I think it's more for the introverts. But I think even the extroverts need that sometimes. Is is disconnection. And you know, one thing I I kind of slightly digressing on is like even when I go for a walk, I don't take my phone with me. I want to not have to think about what's on, like if, I, if there's any work that I need to think about. It's about clearing my head and, and being able to kind of just reset the body in a certain, in a certain way that's, that's useful to me. That's very interesting. So you work with clients online. So you're working with clients all over the world. So your use of technology is, is part of your working life. You need technology. And yet you seem to be very aware of, of the balance of that, that you don't want to be on your phone or on technology all the time. So you actually consciously think, when I'm going out for a walk, I'm leaving the technology behind. 
Yes, I mean, I think that's really, really important to be able to let go of it. I mean, we're surrounded by technology with uh, electromagnetic signals uh, everywhere. And carrying your phone with you kind of enhances that. But it's just a distraction. Going out for walking and, and thinking about the things in the brain that you want to think about to, to try and process them, to de-stress. Um, there's a, a well-known philosopher called Nicholas Nassim Taleb who talks about slow walking for solving problems. Walking, just simple walking, can be a great reset to de-stress. If you've ever been super, super stressed, I challenge you next time you feel like that, just go out for a walk and just see what pops into your head and see what you're looking at, what kind of takes your fancy from a viewpoint, what, what colours are you looking at. I think there's, very, there's a lot to, to, to understand about what a walk can do for you. But the disconnection from technology is essential. It's essential for kind of... Uh, improving sleep hygiene, which is essential for getting people healthier and getting them function at their at, at their best. Bringing back to their house, for example, you know, sleeping without any electronic signals by your bed, whether that's either, even a clock, for example, that's flashing a uh, a time at you all the time. It, it's useful to to remove technology when you're going off for a walk and and when you bring it back to the house, and and, and so you can get better sleep. You work with people a lot on gut health and uh, we haven't talked about food. And of course, a big part of nature is what we eat. You know, we, our food's coming from the earth and how that food is brought to us. What, what connections do you make with nature and food or ingredients, Keith? From a food perspective, I, I've always been quite keen on organic farming and trying to keep foods as wholesome as they can without having any distractions that can stimulate problems i mean i work with a lot of clients who who have reactions to certain foods or fruits or vegetables for example and sometimes it can be not the food that they're eating it might be what's actually been sprayed on them that's causing the problems and so sometimes you can find real good changes to someone health by trying to get them to understand what are the additives to certain foods and even what appear to be quite healthy foods can have a negative effect when they're oversprayed with certain pollutants. So I think, you know, good quality dairy foods and proteins and meats, fruits, vegetables. The way that we're viewing farming these days, which is to make huge amounts of profit for shareholders and, and big corporations, is that when we consider food and nature, we need to devolve industrial gross bodies of farming and focus on animal quality and welfare. If we consider that, we're going to have a lot less problems associated with the industrialization that seem to be causing many, many problems. I've seen some cases where animals are being fed like cement powder or cardboard boxes. And even when you kind of switch animals like cows, for example, to eating lots and lots of grains or giving them lots and lots of antibiotics and uh, other interventions like that can have an effect on negative effect on, on dairy and how somebody might be consuming that. The same thing is going on with meat eating at the moment. There's a big bashing of eating meat. Meat's not unhealthy. Dairy's not unhealthy. Some people can have less than positive reactions because of the context of that individual and perhaps some of the farming practices that are going on. So I think we need to get back to, to promoting good quality local farming that enhances aspects of permaculture. Now, permaculture is this... Uh, method of kind of interacting with the environment where there's less waste optimized production and also optimize the animal welfare 
And I think if we consider that, we can enhance nature and how it provides food for us and ultimately the effect on human physiology. And I don't think a lot of people think about that. Keith, you've given us so much today already, but I wonder if there is anything else you'd like to give us, a gift, something that's got meaning to you? I'm quite interested in, uh, my, hopefully my, my next area of, of research is going to be looking at aspects of pollution. I really think it's really important to consider the, the emerging effects of uh, electromagnetic uh, frequencies on human physiology. And I said, I think I even remember saying this on your show a while back, I think it potentially could have the accumulative effects that we saw with smoking and lung cancer. But because electromagnetic frequencies are very subtle, they're probably not going to show their effects for many, many years. Now, everybody's at home with their Wi-Fi routers. We're getting stronger um, technologies coming through like 5G. There is very well documented research on the effects of 2G, 3G and 4G. At least if you were to ignore most of that as a precautionary principle for investigation. And I have seen many, many papers that show effects to uh, reproductive physiology, to oxidative stress, potential cellular disruptions. And I think ignoring the effects of these can, is going to cause many, many problems. And unfortunately, there is no long-term research on it. We're just rolling out more powerful uh, technology after technology and not standing still and saying, what are the effects of these and what, what um, effects are they going to have on, uh, on generations to come? There was recently, a, I don't think it was a paper, but it was just a standpoint saying experts say that 5G is perfectly safe. It's not. Um, unfortunately, there's been some misrepresentation from conspiracy theorists who are using the, the rollout of 5G to say that it caused coronavirus. It didn't and it doesn't. But what 5G potentially will do over time is disrupt human physiology, much in the same way any other pollution has, like pollution from exhaust fumes, pollution from uh, environmental estrogens and other pollutants causing issues. And I think when we start to have this chicken soup of pollution, it's going to be harder to pull out the effects of individual pollutions. But we are going to keep seeing, much in line with the rises that we have seen of um, autoimmune diseases, cancers, heart disease, which are clearly linked to uh, pollutants. What I'd really like to say is that, you know, be aware of the research that's out there. Uh, choose to look who you get your research from because when you, if you do Google searches, and some, sometimes we, there are lots of people pushing out research and research that's really, really biased to get to the top of, of certain rankings and articles that, that, that people are paid to produce. And my motivation is to understand, get people to understand that the environment is being dictated by people who want to make more money. Um, and I think the, the, the environments that you and I enjoy going into where we like to reset are going to be coming smaller and smaller when it's just being driven by growth uh, and making more money and emerging technologies that aren't being pulled up for, for, for the significant effects that they already have. So I know that's probably not a gift. It's really just, just a request to be aware of what can affect human physiology uh, what is actually out there because a lot of people say oh you know you've got all these symptoms and stuff I don't know what it is when you start to 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 pick out some of the responses to human physiology there can be certainly links that that can explain what some people are feeling and hence why when they go to another environment they say do you know what I feel a bit better 
and it's understanding the environments that can make you better and the environments that can make you worse. I'll finish off with saying some people say you can't get better in the environment that made you sick. Well, you can, but it's just how much time you choose to spend going in and out of that and giving the body more awareness that it's able to get better in a in an environment that's breaking them down sometimes that's taking breaks from it sometimes that's bringing other stimulus in that brings their biology up to feeling better uh, and ultimately sometimes it's 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 just understanding what is driving somebody not to feel as good as they could be you know you're asking earlier for when people are in nature to just check in on how it makes them feel and so do it the other way check in how you feel when you've been around technology for a long period of time how do you feel how does your body feel how are you feeling you know mentally physically and compare the two and like you say interchange between the two or or make sure you're spending more time in the stuff that makes you feel good i think it's really important just to kind of uh, you know challenge yourself to to see what it feels like in another environment also don't <laughs> don't underestimate the effect of low blood sugar levels for being able to interpret how something feels so eating on a regular basis can be certainly very helpful for you to understand if the environment feels better for you or, or not not so good teeth is there a word that comes to mind when you think of nature yeah harmony beautiful keith littlewood always a pleasure talking with you your insights are fascinating and i know you've written a couple of ebooks i think happy hormones is one of your ebooks you're continually uh, educating yourself find you at balancedbodymind.com that's keith littlewood helping people resolving pain energy digestion sleep and hormone related issues have a good day keith thank you suzanne thanks for having me You've been listening to The Nature Pod with Suzanne Radford. For more on my nature therapy walks and workshops for stress management, check out thenaturepod.com or on social media at Forest Bathing Algarve. And if you'd like to share your stories of nature connection and join me on The Nature Pod, then get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. I leave you now with an invitation to take a walk through a park, a forest, field or beach. To slow down and breathe in the air. Become aware of any scent or taste sensations on the tongue and notice how it feels.